almost through with the book of Acts, Acts chapter 27 this evening. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Stephen will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Acts chapter 27 tonight. Is that you? Are you yawning? I haven't even started yet. <laughs> Not a good sign. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight. Lord, thank you for your word that is so powerful, Lord, as you speak through your word to our hearts. It it changes our hearts. It draws us closer to you. It works amazing things in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have as your church to be in your word tonight. Lord, we pray that you're glorified this evening. We pray your blessing upon the children downstairs as they're learning from your word as well, Lord. The youth as they're being taught your word. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, all things would just bring glory to your name. Thank you for this night, Lord. We pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are, Acts 27, and we're going on a cruise. Isn't that great? Although it's not like a cruise you've ever been on before. No porters, no room service, no 24-hour buffet. Just the Apostle Paul, 20, 275 passengers, and a good portion of those passengers were prisoners, as well as they're going to cruise right into a storm. How does that sound for fun? How do we get there? Well, if you call, Paul had finished up his third missionary journey and then went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. While in the temple area, some Jews from Asia recognized Paul and they made the accusation that Paul had allowed a Gentile to come into the temple. Well, that stirred up the Jews and they grabbed Paul and started beating Paul until a Roman commander sent his men in to rescue uh, Paul, not really to rescue Paul, to calm down the situation, to keep it in order. Now, once they saw the Roman soldiers, the Jews stopped beating Paul, and, and Paul was taken into custody. But as they're taking Paul, Paul says, hey, can I talk to these guys? So the uh, Roman commander said, all right, I'll give you a second to talk to them. And, and, and they were listening, and Paul was doing great. Then he mentioned the word Gentile. Oh, and then it started, you know, just all boiling up again, and, and they started writing again. And, and so, uh, uh, so the commander, you know, took Paul in, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't want a riot to happen, so they, they got Paul. They're getting ready to beat Paul to find out what's going on. And Paul says, is it legal for you to, to beat a Roman citizen? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're a Roman. And, and uh, so now they're in trouble. They don't know what to do. And so uh, they're in a pickle because it wasn't lawful to beat a Roman citizen without a trial. Now, during this time, there's also a plot that was being formed against Paul. And that uh, there was 40 men, that would, 40 Jews who refused to eat or drink until they would kill Paul with their own hands. Now, we know that didn't work out so well, but Paul's nephew told the Roman commander of this plot, and Paul then had an armed escort from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And that's where we are right now up until 27, uh, chapter 27. The home and headquarters of Felix, the governor, was there in Caesarea. Now, right before Paul went to Caesarea, though the Lord told Paul, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you've testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So Paul knew that God had called him to preach the gospel there in Rome. He didn't know how he was going to get there. But we'll see that tonight. Uh, well, two years passed, and Paul 
still in prison in Caesarea for a crime that he didn't commit. Felix is no longer the governor now. He's been replaced by Festus. Festus doesn't know what to do with Paul. He hears that King Agrippa is coming into town. And so King Agrippa, he's pretty well, you know, an expert on Jewish customs. So he invites Agrippa to listen to Paul and invites the Jews to come up to Caesarea to hear this whole case. And we saw the big pomp and circumstance last time together and how they made this big deal. And, and uh, the accusations were brought against Paul and, and uh, accusations that couldn't stick. Then it was Paul's turn to speak. And he gave just his powerful, powerful testimony of the Lord and how the Lord touched his heart on the Damascus road there. Agrippa listened intently to Paul and finally said, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul says, oh, I wish to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today would come to Christ. Well, then in Acts chapter 26, verse 32, Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And one by one, Festus left, Agrippa left, his wife and sister, you know, Bernice left, all even, as far as we know, never again having an opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ. That brings us to chapter 27 and a cruise that Paul is about to take to Rome. Now, they're going to face a tremendous storm. But remember, God promised Paul that he would be going to Rome and Rome he would go. So that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 27. We read, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship with Dramamine, uh, we put to sea... Okay. Adramidium, uh, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Now, this centurion, Julius, he was employed by Nero, Caesar Nero, to bring prisoners back to Rome, most likely to be put to death. And many of these prisoners that were boarding the ship with Paul would become gladiators. They would be brought to the Colosseum in Rome. They would be fed to uh, a wild beast before the crowds of people would come just, just to watch this, this uh, horrendous you know, act of, of just you know, uh, wildness there. And, and uh, Now, even though many of those men were worthy of death for the, their crimes, Paul wasn't. There's no charges made against Paul that would stick. So he's going to Rome to appear before Nero to present his case, but not really to present his case. He's really going to present the gospel, and he will do that. Now, as we'll see, Paul is going to find favor with Julius, the centurion, who is in charge of these prisoners. Now, also on board this ship, we see Paul is there, and then the professor and Marianne also. No, it's a, a man named Aristarchus. Now, this guy, Aristarchus, you remember back in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, Angry rioters seized him uh, there in Ephesus. But now he's free. And he's choosing to go along with Paul, you know, no doubt to care for Paul's needs and just had a heart for Paul and, and to help him out. We also know that Luke is with them because Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. And we see once again in verse 1 that the personal pronoun we that is used uh, is spoken of there. So Luke could write what transpired on this voyage because he is with Paul on this journey to Rome. Now for Paul, on this ship, he had a captive audience. I mean, these prisoners, they had no hope. They're facing death. I mean, for this whole trip, they would hear nothing, about, nothing but all about Jesus, you know, how he's uh, the giver and sustainer of life. Then you have the sailors that were on ship, and you know Paul was going to be, be, be sharing his faith with them, you know. And, and so, really, I think Paul looked at this as an opportunity 
you know, to share with all aboard this ship and, and anyone who else was on the ship as well to hear of the Savior of Jesus. What a trip. Little did they know what they were in for. Remember when I first started teaching, doing a Bible study, one of my first studies was actually down in prison. It was a Glen Helen jail that we had in Southern California. Uh, and I would go down once a week, and, and it's amazing. You have a captive audience. I mean, they're all there. They can't go anyplace else. And, and man, they're eager to hear and, and eager to, to listen. And, and my surprise, I was surprised how eager they were. And I realized because many of them were down and they were out. And apart from Jesus, they had no hope. And many men came through to Christ through that ministry. Well, Paul's about to be used in a, in a prison ministry, so to speak. Now, one more thing we're told that this is a, a Dramidium ship. In other words, that, that, that was his home port located on the northwest coast of Asia Minor near Troas. Also keep in mind that as they left Caesarea on its journey to Rome, it wouldn't be a, a straight shot. They would, they wouldn't go, they, they would go along the coastline because it was safer for them to travel and they would make stops along the way. I wouldn't exactly call them excursions, you know, they would have when they stopped, but, but, but maybe for Paul it was. Look at verse 3. First stop. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Now, remember, Julius is the guy in charge of the prisoners. Now, what's interesting here is that, that he already sees Paul as a person that he could trust. They can trust it. So he gives Paul this liberty to go and visit his fellow Christians in Sidon before they set sail again. None of the other prisoners go but Paul. And, and it reminds me of the same treatment that Joseph had when he was put into prison. And, 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 and you know, he just served the Lord wherever he was at. And God raised him up and he found favor in the guards. Or, or Daniel as well and others. They're prisoners, captives, and yet God raises them up. And those in charge oversee the hand of God upon their lives. I think that when people come in contact with you and with me, do they trust you right away? Do they trust me? Do they see the character of God shining through? Do they notice that, that you're different? Now, the only way that it can happen is if we you know, are, are spending time with the Lord, because the more you do, the more of His nature, the more of His character, the more of His light will shine through you. So, verse 4, we read, Well, when He had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. So we're, we're switching boats. Luke continues, verse 7. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of a crate of salami, and then uh, passing... Okay. Crete of Salmoni, sorry about that. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, understand something about these ships. They weren't small, okay? The ship from Alexandria would have been a typical grain freighter that at that time was about 140 feet long and about 36 feet wide. They were sturdy, but, but the winds on the Mediterranean were, were dangerous for, for any ship, no matter what the size. Also, according to verse 37, we, we know that there were 276 passengers on board, including Paul, the other prisoners, and the crew, and, and also maybe the paying customers. Now look at verse 9. Now, when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, sailing on the open Mediterranean Sea would stop sometime around uh, early to mid-November, 
and it wouldn't pick up again until about February. It was just too dangerous to sail during those times, those months. Now, some would take their chances anyway, but it was very dangerous. Well, Luke here is giving us the time frame of this event, and he tells us that the fast was already over, probably speaking of the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. This took place sometime in October, so the time for sailing for the most part was over. It was time to stay in port or to face the consequences of sailing during those stormy months. So Paul is saying, I don't think it's a good time. We need to stay here. We need to stay put through the winter. And he tells them so in verse 10. He says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So way to go, Mr. Encouragement. Paul may, did not, may have not have had encouraging words, but he was just speaking the truth about what Paul knew. Listen, Paul spoke from experience. He logged some 3,500 miles by sea. He had a lot of frequent sailing miles, you know. And according to 2 Corinthians 11.25, 11, he was also involved in, in three shipwrecks. So I don't really know if you want to be sailing with Paul, but, but from Paul's own experience, he warns them, hey, we should not go on this journey. We need to stay until, until you know, the weather's better. Listen, God calls us to make common sense, uh, you know, in, in situations, to use our common sense in situations. Paul is, is using his experience. He says, guys, I know what I'm talking about. It's not a good idea that we leave here. Let's just stay here to winter. Well, look at verse 11. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So, Julius the centurion heard what Paul had to say, but he was persuaded by uh, the helmsman and by the owner of the ship and decided to move on. And you kind of wonder at the persuasion, don't you? Man, you're going to lose money. Man, you're going to, you're, you know, you need to do this or else. And, and uh, uh, obviously because it was a grain ship, the owner didn't want to lose this precious cargo by waiting several months. But he was pressured. And don't listen to Paul. Now, I think the bigger reason that they didn't, they wanted to move, because it says that the harbor they were in were not, was not suitable to winter in it. I think what they're saying is this. Fair Havens, where they're harboring, is not a fun place to stay for the winter. I mean, imagine staying in a small town and, and little activity going on in the town. And so they try to get to Phoenix. Now, maybe thought by the time they get to Phoenix, she'll be rising. Uh, old Glenn Campbell song. You heard that one coming. Actually, Phoenix was a harbor of Crete some 40 miles away. It was, it was the place where the sailors liked to, uh, you know, hunker down for the winter. It was a much bigger town. A lot of restaurants and, you know, like the movies and the golf courses and the theaters. And, and, and so no doubt these guys are going, man, I don't want to stay here. You know, Phoenix is a place. You know, we can pick up a Suns game. You know, I mean, come on. Let's want a little basketball there. Phoenix Suns. Okay. Now, I think sometimes we can be like these sailors. Okay, we make decisions in our lives. Well, where's most comfortable? Where's it the easiest? Well, I think they, I, want, I want the smooth life. I, I want to do over this. Instead of just seeking the Lord, say, Lord, what do you want for me? I mean, I know this, this sounds good, but Lord, what, what would you have me to do? They should have listened to Paul. Remember, Paul said, I perceive this voyage will end with a disaster much lost, not only of the cargo ship, but also our lives. Let me ask you this, if God, has God ever warned you not to go down a certain path? 
Not to sail in a certain direction, but you felt that you had to move on anyway. You wanted to do it anyway, you know, and, and, and you did it regardless. How did that work out for you? <laughs> if, you if you're like me, you know, it, 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 I think you are. It never works out very well, does it? See, God has what's best for our lives. He knows what's best for our lives. And through the Lord speaking to our hearts, through Him speaking to us through His Word, the Lord speaking us to others, we need to listen. We need to listen. These men should have listened to Paul. But instead, look at verse 13. We read, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire of putting out the sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocliton. So when the ship was caught, was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her dry. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff, it's a small boat, like a lifeboat, with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the surge of sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. I mean, things are getting kind of rough now, rough seas. They, they, they can't make it to Phoenix. They're trying to get to Phoenix, but then the worst thing possible happens. This dangerous windstorm kicks up. It's roaring down upon them. So dangerous was this windstorm that it was famous. That they even had a name for it called it Eurocliton. I mean, make no mistake about it. Those that sailed the Mediterranean Sea, they, they feared storms like this. And for this ship, they had one main sail and no rudder like we would think of rudders. They used oars that, you know, to direct there on either side of the back of the ship. But now the winds are so strong... They couldn't guide the ship any longer and they're just driven to and fro wherever the wind was blowing them. They lost control. Again, I see a picture of the Christian. The Lord tells us, don't do this. Don't go there. And we ignore Him and we do our own thing. And as we start out, the wind maybe blows a little soft, you know, not much trouble. Hey, God must be in it. But then comes the Eurocliton, you know, and we're being blown away. So what should we do? I think the lesson is simple. Don't be impatient. Wait on the Lord. Make sure you have a peace in your heart before you go forward. If you're anxious, if you're uncomfortable, the Lord could be telling you to stop. Wait. Uh, you did not go forward. See, the winds may be favorable, but that may not mean that God wants you to go to- forward to go down that path. We don't just do things based on outward circumstances alone. We need to have that, that inward peace, and we need to have the, the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit in accordance with the Word of God. Well, things go from bad to worse. Look at verse 20. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So they lost all hope. They came to the conclusion, uh, all except Paul, that is, that they were all going to die. Now, keep in mind, again, these were seasoned sailors. They knew what they were doing. They'd been in storms before, but nothing was like this. They thought no one was able to save them. They thought, this is it. We're all doomed. There's no hope. We're all going to die. Folks, that's a great place to be. Because when you have no place to turn, when you have exhausted your ability to accomplish something, all you have left is God. And at many times, that's when we, when we turn to the Lord. That's when we turn to Jesus. He truly only one, He's truly the only one that can bring salvation to our lives. Not just salvation, salvation, but, but the salvation that we find ourselves in the trials that we go through, in the storms of life that, that we face. I kind of love what happens next. Paul is able to give the biggest I told you so in history. Look at verse 21. 
But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, I told you so. Told you so. I said, let's stay here in Fair Haven. But you said, no, no, we got to go. No, it doesn't do that. Sim says, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Notice, Paul says there that it wasn't until after long abstinence that Paul began to speak. He waited to say, you've listened, you should have listened to me until he could say, hey, be of good cheer, we're going to make it. I think for those moms and dads, that's a good word for us as well. We need to hold our tongues like Paul until we can give our kids that word of encouragement and practical application along with the words of correction. You know, I told you you shouldn't do this. Okay, now here's what you need to do, you know. Well, Paul goes on in verse 23, explaining... For there stood by me this night an angel of the God, to whom I belong and whom I am served, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sell with you. Therefore take heart, man, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So an angel of the Lord appears to Paul. Now, obviously, you know, the, Paul didn't record all the conversation, but, but obviously enough to tell him, hey, you're going to be shipwrecked, everybody's going to stay alive, and we're going to run ashore on this island. Kind of lays it out for him. Now, the centurion uh, believed the master of the ship in verse 11, but Paul believed God. And I think what a difference it makes, because Paul stands up before this whole crew, and he tells them what the Lord showed him. And he did so in order that these men would have hope. He says, take heart, men, for I believe God. I like that. I believe God. You can underline that. Paul believed God. Do we believe God? I know when we first came to Christ, we, we believed God. We put our trust in Him and we were, willing to, 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 we were willing for Him to save us from death and hell. But a lot of times people stop right there. I mean, do we believe in His other promises? He tells us He'll answer our prayers that if we ask, we shall receive. But we don't believe that promise because so often we don't pray. He tells us he'll give us wisdom if we just ask for it. Do we believe that? Well, not if we don't seek him and if we rely on our own resources. He tells us he'll bless our lives if we put them in his care. Do we believe that? No, we we risk our own little schemes in life. He says, put him first and he'll give us all that we need. Do we believe that? Man, I wish we could all cry out as Paul did. I believe God. I'll never doubt. So Paul says, I believe God. I believe what he told me. Look at verse 27. Now when the fourteenth night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be twenty fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be fifteen fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. So they spent two entire weeks in the misery and the terror of this storm. And upon hearing the waves, they hear the waves maybe crashing on the shore, they realize they must be getting close to land. And so it says there in, in verse 28, they, they took some soundings. Now they would do this, how they would do this is they would take uh, a weight attached to a rope and, 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 
and they would, you know, drop it off the ship and, and uh, at a depth of about 120 feet. And then they go a little further, then it was 90 feet. And they were getting closer and closer. They realized they were getting closer to the shore and they didn't want to crash into land. So they, they at that point, they dropped out their, their four anchors and prayed for daybreak so they could see where they were going and decide their next plan of action. Well, in the midst of all this going on, some of the sailors are panicking and they try to abandon the ship. They, they pretend to let out the anchors. All right, we'll let out the anchors. Then we're going to get on the ship and we're going to get off this boat as, as fast as we can. Paul sees what's going on. And 11 verse 31, he says, unless these men stay on the ship, they cannot be saved. And you can almost hear Julius going, what men? What? what are you, you guys, hey, get back over here. You know, they were caught. So they listened to Paul this time and let go of the ropes that held the light bulb, sending it crashing to the sea. But I, I see what a beautiful picture of Christ we have here. As long as we're in Christ, we're safe. He's our protection, even in the fiercest of storms. But at times we can panic and we can get nervous and we want to jump ship and we want to jump out of his arms into our own little lifeboat. But what a mistake, because we'll just sink. Again, the lesson, much better to wait on the Lord and trust Him than to go out on our own. Our safety is only found in Christ. So, verse 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And, and all were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with the beach into which they planned to run the ship if possible. God wants us to be practical, not to be foolish. They needed to eat to get some strength for what was ahead of them, so Paul tells them to eat, but also he reminds them of the hope that they have. And he says, you know, uh, I urge you to take nourishment. Since I told you already, not a hair of your head is, is going to uh, fall from you. You're, you're, you're going to survive. And, and so they needed to eat, Paul says. But I want you to see the boldness of Paul here. He wasn't ashamed to pray. Verse 35 says, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. All these sailors, all these prisoners, everybody there says, we, we need to pray and thank God for this food. How about us? At work, do you pray for your food? Is it, is it a quick, oh, thanks for this food, amen. All right, how you doing? You know, one of those was quick prayers, you know, are you bold? Are you bowing your head and really thanking God for all he's given you, not being ashamed that people will see you pray before your meal? You know, I've found that when I pray, you know, when I say, hey, do you mind if I, I pray for a meal around non-believers? Uh, uh, they're more than willing to pray with me. They'll, they'll pray with me, and I find that we have kind of a positive effect on people through prayer. Through prayer. Paul here prayed, and the people were affected by his actions. We're told in verse 36, then they were all encouraged. I like that. I mean, he was just an example to them of his faith, what God was going to do, and it encouraged them. So verse 40, and they let the anchors go and led them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So they hit rock bottom, but they still didn't hit the shore. The ship is breaking apart. Time to abandon ship. But then the question arises, so what do we do with the prisoners? Look at verse 42. 
The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those could swim, those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now, why did they want to kill the prisoners? Because if they escaped, if they escaped, the soldiers then were responsible and they would have to serve out the prisoner's sentence when they got to Rome, even if it meant death. And what stopped them from killing all the prisoners? It's, it's Paul. I, I mean, the, it was a favor that Paul found with, with Julius the centurion. He wanted to save Paul from death. And so he said, listen, if you can swim, go for it. We're not going to kill you. Swim to shore. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen with no charges against him. So to kill Paul could also have meant a big trouble for them. So as the ship is run aground, it's breaking apart. Some swim in, some use surfboards. We read there, the very first surfboard right there. They, some on boards. It says it right there, you know. You thought surfing was a new thing. And guess what? They all made it safely to shore. All 276 of them, just as the Lord said. As we finish up chapter 27 this evening, things really don't look too good. They're shipwrecked on an island. Not sure where they're at. But as dark as this may be, chapter 28 sheds light on God's purpose and plan for this event. And in the end, Paul will make it to Rome just as God promised. God said, be of good cheer, Paul, as you testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must all bear witness for me in Rome. See, what God promised to happen to bring the past, we will see the next time, it will happen. It will happen as we finish up the book of Acts. But Paul will end up on this island uh, called Malta, and God will do amazing work of healing and saving many people. Listen, we all face storms in life. And there are many times that we're tempted to, to abandon ship, but we see that God has a purpose and a plan in the storms that we face. I believe there are four types of storms that come into our lives. And I'll share this and then we'll close with this. There's number one, storms of perfection. Number two, there's storms of protection. Number three, there's storms of direction. And number four, there's storms of correction. First, there's storms of perfection. And they're just brought about, you know, by the Lord to make us more like Jesus. Romans eight twenty nine. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. So many times as we go through these storms, these trials in our lives, they're to perfect us, you know. And, and often, you know, uh, we, we maybe seek to complain or abandon ship, but the storms of perfection, you know, when we jump ship, we're saying, Lord, I don't want you to be, I don't want to be what you want me to be. So we want to seek the Lord when we go through those storms of perfection. Then there are storms of protection. Now, we all know the story of Noah. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis 6-8. We know the purpose of that storm. It was to protect uh, Noah. God sent it, sent it to drown out all the carnality, all the sin, all the iniquity that surrounded Noah that was on the earth. The storm raged for 40 days and 40 nights, but Noah and his family were not, not only protected in the storm, they were protected by the storm. Perhaps you're trying to move in a certain direction and the doors keep shutting on you and everything you do to move, it seems that they make matters worse. Perhaps God is trying to protect you from the direction that you're going. Man, I'm closing these doors because I don't want you to go in this path. There are storms of protection. Then there's storms of direction. It's the story of a farmer who said to a young soldier, you must be brave to come down in a hundred mile per hour gale wind like this in a parachute. The soldier replied, I didn't come down in a parachute. I went up in a tent. I think many times in our own estimation, we don't know if we're coming or going. You know, 
But as the Lord's, in the Lord's eyes, He has a clear direction for you. See, the Lord knew there was a group of people on the island of Malta in need of ministry. So the Lord said to Paul, before you go to Rome, Paul, I'm going to allow you to be blown off course because there's something I want you to do for me, something you never would have thought of on your own, something that wasn't a part of your agenda. I have a people that I want to minister to, so I'm going to allow a storm to arise, which although it looks like it's blowing you off course, it will in reality take you exactly to the place that I want you to be, where I want to use you. Now, how do we make that applicable for us today? Well, we may say, Lord, how come I'm being transferred at work? Lord, uh, how come things are just not working out? How come we feel like we have to move right now? Don't be blown away. Realize the Lord is changing your direction because there's something that He wants to do that will ultimately be a blessing. And many times, it's only when we look back and we see, oh, I see what you're doing now, Lord. You allowed this to happen, the storm to happen, because you wanted me to go in this direction, but I didn't have a clue. Again, that is where exercising the faith that God is in control. He has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives and He has a direction He wants to take us even through a storm. Then we come to the last storm, the one that we most definitely do not like to go through. That's a storm of correction. Storms of correction brought on because of sin. God loves us so much, but He does not want us to, uh, to, to get away with our sinful lifestyle or sinful habits, so He corrects us. I mean, all you got to do is think about our studies on Sunday and, and uh, give Jonah a call on the phone and he would tell you all about this one. God caused that storm to rise up because Jonah was not being obedient to the Lord. He was in rebellion against the Lord. So again, God loves us so much. He'll not allow us to get away with sinful habits or lifestyles. So he corrects us. So too, sometimes when we're in that place of disobedience or I'm in a place of rebellion, the Lord will allow a storm to get me back on track again. So storms of, of perfection, Protection, direction, and correction. How do you know which one you're in? Ask the Father. Talk to the Father. Lord, why am I in this storm? Are you perfecting me for what you see coming my way? Is there a new direction in life that you have for me? Or are you protecting me for something that could be very damaging? Lord, is it correction? Is there something in my life that you want me to deal with? How long has it been since you got away to spend some time with the Lord just to seek Him on that? I encourage you, seek, you know, clear your schedule and seek Him. And instead of being blown away by the storm, you'll be blown away by His goodness, by His grace. I want to close with, with Psalm 107. You can turn there if you want. At verses 23 through 31, it's a great closing to, to this chapter. Let me read it to you. Psalm 107, starting in verse 23. The psalmist writes, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm, so that it waves, its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to the desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. I love that. Whatever storm you may be facing right now, God is there. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. 
Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness or his wonderful works to the children of men. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this night tonight. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful works, Lord, for your goodness towards us. Father, we thank you for, uh, Lord, your hand upon our lives. Lord, we recognize that as Paul went through this, this storm, Lord, there was a purpose behind it. And as we go through these storms in our lives, Lord, we know that you have a plan and a purpose. None of them are for naught. Lord, you, you have a, a plan in them, be it storms of correction or perfection or direction or correction. Lord, help us to seek you, Lord, to seek your face, to seek your will. Lord, help us to trust in you, Lord. Lean not on our own understandings and always acknowledge you, knowing that you will direct our paths. Thank you for this night tonight, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts and in this church. We continue to pray for your blessing, Lord. Help us to be a light in this world around us, in our community, in our workplaces, in our schools. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.